Martin Pickering needs no introduction. He's an outstanding airsoft pilot who has showcased aerobatic propeller planes and turbine jets at premier RC events across the globe. Martin is one of the most prominent figures in the RC community, largely due to his flying skills and exceptional YouTube channel dedicated to aerobatics and jets. On his channel, he shares his adventures and knowledge with people worldwide. In this interview, we delve into Martin's YouTube journey, his latest jet, the Pilot FC1, and we talk about the unique challenges of flying other people's planes. Hey Martin, how's it going? Good to see you, it's been a while. I am good. Oh yeah, a very long time. Yeah, I think uh, I think last time we flew together was probably in 2010, probably back in like the Spanish Extreme Flight Championships. Uh, no, Aerotech Show. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah so it's been it's been a while. Oh yes. Then you disappeared to the other side of the world. It's really good to see. Uh, you know, back then you were already a great pilot, obviously. But no, that was you. <laughs> well, uh, it's been <laughs> it's been really cool to see your progression, not just as a pilot, but much more than that. Right? I think since then uh, you've become really well known all over the world. You've been traveling all over the place, flying every kind of airplane you can imagine. Uh, you have a, a really awesome YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, congrats. I think it's, it's been really cool to see that from, from the distance. Thanks. It's been, a, it's been a really cool adventure and, uh, I admit I've also been very fortunate to have been able to take it as far as we have done. Um, yeah, so maybe we kind of step, take a step back. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people are pretty familiar with you, but for those that are not, maybe we can give a brief, um, Kind of a description of how you got started into into RC and how you progressed into aerobatics over time. How I started, uh, that was an accident, entirely by accident. Unlike uh, almost every other young guy that uh, I seem to meet where their father flew or their uncle flew, uh, we actually just kind of accidentally found it uh, in our local town because they had a, a static display of models uh, in the town hall square and uh, we just walked past, saw it. It looked really cool. And the uh, club members mentioned that uh, this was on Saturday and they were basically advertising for their uh, club day, which was on Sunday. So uh, we didn't really have any other plans for the day. And uh, once my dad made the mistake of uh, taking me to the flying field, uh, he had a month of dad can I have one dad can I have one dad can I have one until uh, we both kind of realized it wasn't uh, disappearing and uh, we started looking into it and uh, not really looked look back since we uh, I bought a, a trainer it took me a really long time to actually learn to fly uh, compared to some people that I've helped uh, it's it actually took me about a year to be able to take off, fly around and land solo. Now I've had people do that in a couple of days. So uh, I, I, I never considered myself really as a, as a sort of natural flyer, but I've just got hooked and uh, never been able to get enough since. And then that just progressed. Uh, aerobatics was uh, something that really drew my attention. And then as time has evolved, as of the interests, planes have got bigger and bigger, uh, moved into jets as well. And uh, eventually, basically, if it's got wings of any kind or a motor, <laughs> then I'm having a blast. Yeah, it's, uh, 
in some ways it reminds me of myself too. Like I didn't know anybody at the RC. And I don't think I was particularly amazing at the beginning. I think it wasn't until I started getting robotics when my skills like progressed probably faster than, than normal. Uh, because I was again I was also really, really into it like you. Um yeah, I, really I remember watching every single one of your new videos on uh on your good old uh Acro three D forum website, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Mr. Juan Sanchez, the one to beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been a while since there. Um and yeah, and and you know, after that I guess we were competing for a while, both of us. And you stopped uh, competing and ended up focusing more on on just having fun, right? On on doing demo flights, on going to airshows. Uh, can you can you talk a bit about that decision? Yeah, it's it's one that I did with a very heavy heart. I mean, I really loved my competition and iMac or F3M as it was uh, back then. Sorry. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I was basically spending all of my holidays on being able to travel to and compete at all these events all over Europe. And along with all of that, I was also spending not only all of my holiday, I was also spending all of my income. And uh, I had no issue with that. I was enjoying it. Uh, unfortunately, though, it reached a point where, for whatever the reasons may be, uh i wasn't gaining the results that a i wanted but b everyone around me seemed to believe that i should be getting as well especially here in spain i was getting very good uh podium results and wins uh outside of spain yet here it just wasn't happening so basically after a very clear case when uh without going into too much detail uh we came back from a european championship with the same pilots and the 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 results were kind of i made podium nobody else came close uh came back to spain and the results were completely flipped uh so for whatever reason that was i wasn't happy with that and basically that pushed me over the edge of saying, this is costing me all of my holiday and all of my money. And it's not providing the results that I want anymore. So I th- I basically quit. I quit competing. And from that point onwards, I then had a load of free holiday and to a degree, free money, uh, which I then put back into rather than traveling to compete, traveling to do air shows. And that's where I would say that's probably the best thing I ever did. It really snowballed very quickly from that point on, from air show to air show to international air show to doing my first air show overseas outside of Europe in China. And then it just one after another. And it's been brilliant ever since. Uh, I know and I'm quite sure that I wouldn't have been able to do any of this had I not first done the iMac and the competition. I do believe that really helps you fine-tune a lot of the the flying. Uh, Freestyle isn't just about, as you know, pulling really hard on the sticks, but it's being able to do so in a nice, smooth and precise and controlled manner, which the competition and IMAX side really 
uh, helps you learn. Uh, and when you apply that to doing an air show, generally you can tell the pilots that have competed from those that haven't just by the, the finesse of the, of the crazy show that they're able to put on. Yeah, the, the, the level of kind of the mindset that you have on those type of demo flights, right? Um, whether it's a freestyle or just a standard demo flight um, where you are focusing a lot in where the place, uh, where the place you're playing, uh, make sure that uh, maneuvers are on the center or the ends. There, there's, yeah. you know, all the lines are straight. There is no random stuff in between. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I definitely share the sentiment that um, I think I think that's one of the downsides of RC competitions with airplanes. Um, it's not like a racing cars, right? Uh, the the one that uh, finishes first. It's pretty clear. Uh, even then, yeah. sometimes there's like some disagreements. For for the most part, the one that comes <laughs> first is the winner. I think in in yeah, yeah. it's not as straight cut as that, and sometimes that can be tricky. Yeah, it's a lot more subjective. Yeah, and it's often I think overly classed as intentional. I'm not saying that, um, but a very simple example in freestyle to music setting aside all the IMAX side for a moment, just a freestyle to music. You know yourself and everyone who's listening that when you hear a song that you like, that you would put in the car yourself, that automatically gets you in a good mood. So willingly or not, not intentionally saying, I like this guy or I like this plane. Subconsciously, you like that music. You're in a happy place. And your score can easily be unintentionally adjusted due to that. And I think that's just one of many factors that can come into it. But that's probably the easiest one to have people understand and say why it is exactly so difficult to actually say, no, this is the criteria for judging. But when you can have something that's so simple and everyone has their own music, and if you don't like the music they're using, yes, you have to try and be objective. But you're not in that same happy place as you are with that rock song that you rock out to in the car on your own anyway. Yeah. Do you miss, uh, other than this obvious you know, subjective factor, do you miss the general uh, mindset of competition, the training, the going to an event, try to do your best? And Yeah, I mean, I, I really did enjoy it. And it wasn't purely an ego trip of trying to win. It was something that, you know, the the fear of having a, an unknown sequence handed to you an hour before you have to fly it and watching everyone else fly and see who does it right, who does it wrong, how do you do this so as not to lose space and height and do everything in time. It, it really is a, a a few years that I look back on fondly. And even though I would probably say that, unfortunately, I don't have the free time now to dedicate as many days to flying as I did back then and as I would say is probably needed to compete at a high level uh, or the high level that we want to but yeah it's definitely a time that I wouldn't want to change much in. Have you done any kind of music based freestyle uh, since you stopped competing have you done any like designing a freestyle and using it in some in some or so or not not since then no it's a, it's a surprising one normally no and 
unfortunately, I've kind of gone away from that even more intentionally than than I probably want to recognize for the pure reason that I have a, a YouTube channel that I try to upload to regularly and as part of appreciation for many of the shows that I go to that help out, I try and get them as much exposure as possible while also, of course, uh, uploading my own flights. YouTube hates popular music. So, kind of, if I prepare a freestyle and then fly it at the air show and then film it, I can no longer upload that to YouTube. Uh, I can no longer include that in the appreciation video for the organizers of that event. Um, so to a degree, I've kind of stepped back on the whole music thing for that reason as well. However, especially when I'm here at my home flying field, normally when I'm flying, especially on the uh, prop planes, nine times out of ten, I'll have my uh, AirPods in, rocking out and just having a load of fun. And if the music suits, then, yeah, we'll have some improvised freestyle going on, even if nobody else knows behind us. <laughs> Yeah, even, the... even at air shows, many a time, especially on if you if you have one of those days where for whatever reason you're feeling just that little bit more itchy or nervous, and you know that you've got those three guys behind you that are your best mates that are going to be shouting at you to do stupid stuff. <laughs> AirPods, music, and just zone in. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely get the um, concerts with YouTube and, and the music copyrights. I've I've run into that problem. I know when I went to the Tucson Aerobatic Shootout in 2019, I was pretty excited to see my kind of my flights there. And I think the day after, the videos were either taken down or muted because you know, everybody's using popular music, right? Yep. Um, and obviously, we're not you know we're not paying the artists for that, so that that's that's too bad. Um, that's the thing I'm okay if a video gets demonetized because of popular music that's fine I understand it but at least leave it on there don't start taking it down or start sending emails saying this video is now no longer available in 87 countries I spent a week editing that (laughs) well let's talk about your YouTube channel Uh, so right now I believe you have a bit over 30,000 subscribers Um, but more importantly than all of those things I think for me uh, what's really special about your YouTube channel is that you're actually making really good, high-quality RC videos, both uh, on covering events that you went to, as well as doing product reviews or tutorials that I know that people really appreciate for for you know, learning purposes. And I believe there is very little content like that at the moment. That's one of the reasons why I started you know, Skybound, also to, to try to add my little my little contribution there. Um, yeah. So that's that's really cool to see. Uh, I think definitely we 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 do need more of that. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's taken a very long time to get to the uh, to the numbers that we have now, and it's it's surprising. I mean, I've seen, as you say, that the, the number of channels that have crazy subscribers account subscriber numbers that I would I admit I would love love to have. And I think like every YouTuber, we're aiming for that silver plaque of 100,000 subscribers. Uh, but it's it's a lot of hard work. And trying to, as I say, the, the subscriber thing, it happens organically. There's nothing you can do really to push that. 
But the the video views, once you've been doing it for, well, too many years now, probably, the uh, you, you kind of have an idea of hopefully what kind of video is going to work. I'm not saying I'm good at it because otherwise I'd have hundreds of thousands of views per video rather than tens of thousands of views per video. But you kind of have an idea of more or less what works for your viewers and especially the day that it's published in the first 24 hours, you kind of can see the evolution of, okay, this video is going to be doing really well or this video is bombing. Um, so it's a, it's a real challenge to try and find that balance because, I mean, I enjoy doing the tutorials. It's probably one of the vid kind of videos that I get most comments about when I go literally anywhere. I mean, it's it's very humbling to go to a country that you've never been to and have people know your name and bring up a specific video that they remember watching that you helped them without even knowing to set up their power box or, or program something. That's really cool. They're also the videos that do the worst. I mean, you get very few views because unless it's someone that has that unit, is interested in buying that unit, they have no interest in viewing the video. And if they do have it, they're going to skip forward to the bit where they can't figure out why something isn't working. They're going to see that bit. And YouTube, at the end of the day, is a business. Not me. YouTube itself is a business. And YouTube is interested in showing people videos that they are going to A, click on, and B, watch for as long as possible and stay on the platform. So when you have a video that you show it to your usual people and no one watches it, and those who do watch it skip to the interesting bit, YouTube kind of ignores that video. And unless you specifically search for it, it disappears. So the amount of work that goes in for the amount of views you get on those is it's very much not worth it even though they are the ones that are the most humbling because people then mention them at the flying fields the other half of it where you have the the air shows those videos are relatively easy i mean you go to the air show anyway take the camera take a load of shots normally on the airplane home put it all together and more or less by the time you get home you've pretty much got a finished video which you can upload it's not really taken you a crazy amount of time and you get a good number of views. They're the ones that are most worth it for the least effort. But I think it's all very much, uh, you have to enjoy it to continue doing it. And for now, it's something that I still enjoy doing very much. Uh, as we were mentioned off air before we started, I've actually been filming what I think is going to be a really cool video uh, this afternoon, which I hope to release probably in the next week or so where we uh, we actually filmed a television advert for a Spanish airline. And uh, the experience is one thing, because, of course, it's an advert for TV and, uh, you know, a big production value. And then there's the fact that every single possible thing that could go wrong went wrong spectacularly. So uh, that's going to be a good video. And uh, hopefully that one, that one's having a lot of effort and thought being put into it to try and both keep it interesting and also show people the reality of how something that looks so simple took so much effort. 
and hopefully uh, people enjoy it. You might upload a video that is extremely useful about this particular feature of this power box system or how to program this thing. Uh, but that's something that's going to be extremely useful for a very small subset of, of people, right? Probably the more useful it is, the more niche the the topic exactly. ends up. It's, the sm it's for a very small proportion of the hobby. And the hobby is already a very small proportion of YouTube. So uh, we're really narrowing down who's going to watch that. But it's fun. Sponsors appreciate it. Uh, it then, to a degree, leads on to other things as well. Uh, you're, in my case, thanks to my YouTube channel, I would say that I've gained many of the sponsors that I have now that I've, and that I've had for years. Because, as I say, probably a common misconception is that to be a sponsored pilot, you need to be the best pilot. And that's very much not the case. To be a sponsored pilot, you need to be able to provide more value to the company and to the brand than what they are assisting you with. If you can get them loads of exposure, you're going to be a highly valuable sponsored pilot to them, regardless of if you're Jay Stucio or not. Yeah, no, 100% agree. At the end of the day, companies won't return their investment. They don't really care that much if you're an amazing pilot or you are just an okay pilot that does a really good job explaining their systems and helping people out. Uh, you probably will need some level of a skill, whether it's on the flying side of things or in the building oh, yeah. or setup, obviously. Um, but that's definitely not the... It's not the reward for, for your flying skills. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you, you've definitely been doing a great job. And uh, I think you've also been able to get some really big names behind you, right? You have like Powerbox, you have MKS, uh, you have JetCat, some of the some yeah. of the best, very best brands. Oh, yeah. I've been very fortunate there. Uh, it's probably one of those things as well where once you have one, it's kind of easier to to move in with the others as well. It's probably the, the first one that's the hardest one. And, uh, well, I mean, my first big sponsor really was Powerbox. Uh, that was thanks to my good friend who I think you, oh, no, you interviewed recently, Ali Machinchi. He, uh, I actually crashed a plane due to the, the one that I flew at the show that you last saw me at, or that we last uh, we last flew together. The uh, the extra that I flew at that Aerotech show in two thousand nine ish, shortly after the um, non power box unit decided to fry itself, and uh, seeing as that plane was a kind of collaboration with Ali back then. Uh, I, I sort of said, "Look, I'm really sorry. The plane is no more. This is, you know, this is what's left of it. I'm afraid this is what's happened." And uh, basically, he, he put in a good word for me at Powerbox, and uh, never looked back since. Still with them now, what 13 ish years later, and uh, a load of big brands have followed uh, followed them. So very, very lucky. Do you have, other than that, like, signy YouTube plaque, do you have any other kind of goals, aspirations for your YouTube channel? Is there any, like, different content? Is there anything that you are hoping to to get to someday with your channel? Um, really just grow what I'm doing at the moment, really. And, um, I mean, I think there's there's so many different ways to create great content on YouTube. I mean... 
just for a couple of examples, we have Rami RC, who's doing an absolutely stellar job with uh, producing RC airliners. And he's got millions and millions of views and subscribers. And he's working even with Airbus now. Uh, you have uh, uh, lighter side of RC, who uh, have also really got involved in the building side of things. And uh, they, they too have found a, a, a really good niche and i mean john's doing a really good job as well in uh, in growing that youtube channel but i've always been one for doing things my own way um i've never really wanted to say okay well essential rc in england is doing this i'm going to basically copy them in spain and ipso facto i'll hopefully get the same hundreds of thousand subscribers that they have in videos and the same for these other guys that we've mentioned and so on I like to find my own way because if I do only building videos, I get bored. Uh, it's not some. It's not really my main focus. I want to produce content that I myself find interesting and that I myself would watch. I tend to think if I can do that, a it will keep me interested long enough to continue doing it, and also. If I find it interesting enough to watch it, chances are other people will too. And so far, I've been lucky, and I think that's been working. Okay. More would be better, but I think we're doing okay. Yeah, I also think that a big part of it too is that, you know, RC is not the biggest thing in the world, obviously. Um, so I think the, the ceiling of what you can accomplish probably not, you know, you're not going to become Mr. Beast, regardless of uh, what no. type of uh, video you make, right? Um, no. So if you're not gonna be able to make like significant money, it's not gonna be your full time job, most likely. No, not um, at all. You have I to mean, make sure that you're actually enjoying what you're doing, right? Exactly. I did have a stage where I tried to actively kind of box myself into a more specific style, but not only did it not work, but it wasn't fun. I mean, heck, if if you look on the channel, you'll even find a video reviewing the uh, I think it's the iPhone XR. Purely really? because my father <laughs> ordered it. He, he was the person that least liked technology in the world, but he needed a new iPhone, and it just happened that his old one broke just on basically the day that the new XR was out. So which meant he received it on the first day that they were sent out. It was worth a try. I thought, hey, let's just try and do something fun, do, uh, do a quick video and see if we get to different people mm -hmm. but uh very much not uh a didn't work but b just not, not something i'm interested in yeah. so yeah i think this main thing is youtube is hard youtube is really really hard and it takes a very long time unless you're immensely fortunate and you just find a niche that for some reason just works for you but yep. normally everyone you speak to youtube is hard and it's going to take a very very long time I mean, I don't know how many, how many years I've been on YouTube, but probably at least five or six uploading regularly, and we're at 30,000. So, uh, yeah, if, if you don't enjoy it and have fun with it, it's, you're not going to stay in it for the long haul. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to planes. Um, what, what are you flying uh, these days when you're at home? What's your, what's your go-to aerobatic plane? Go to aerobatic plane. Uh, I would like to say it was the Pilot RC Laser, 
the 103-inch with the 100cc engine, or GP123. Unfortunately, that one can no longer be my go-to model at the moment uh, for reasons of being, you know, kind of broken. Uh, so at the moment, my, my other uh, prop plane, uh, which is now my go-to plane, is the uh, Pilot RC 103-inch Slick, which is also a really good airframe, but it's different to the Laser. I'll say the Laser is the more aggressive of the Pilot RC lineup at the moment. The Extra is kind of in the middle, and the Slick is kind of bringing up the rear. Now, that doesn't mean to say it's not immensely agile. It's just not absolutely ludicrous like the laser was. Uh, still loads of fun, though. Is that the latest version of the laser? I believe that Pilot released recently, like, a, is that the V2 or the V3? Yeah, they, they recently released the V3. Mine was actually a V1, the one mm. that uh, recently uh, met the ground and uh, decided to re-kit itself. But, uh, yeah, the, the V3, I actually, I've got to fly it in Australia a month ago. And I, I don't know how he keeps doing it, Tony, at uh, Pilot RC. The, how the planes are flying now is just incredible. I mean, it feels so much lighter than my previous V1 and the V2s that I've flown. And... You look at it, it looks very similar, but there are, there are sort of small changes, small details, which are sufficient to really make a noticeable difference in flight. I mean, it's got a slightly different wing shape, ailerons, and a few other minor minor touch-ups, which just give it even better control and authority, which is really something that it wasn't lacking in the first place. So uh, now it's very much a case of, set the rates to what you, the pilot, can do rather than set the rates to what the plane can do. Otherwise, you're going to be playing catch-up with it. For those people that are considering getting a new you know, uh, 100, 120cc uh, pilot robotic plane, uh, but they're struggling to figure out sleek, laser, extra, um, you mentioned and you talked a bit about aggressiveness. Uh, are you able to kind of give a bit more insight into how people should be thinking about choosing which of those models is, is more of a yeah, sure. um, which one you like better look wise or, or that's always a factor of course uh, at the end of the day we're modelers we we love our toys and if you don't like the look of it you're never going to be happy with how it flies so if you love one of them just go for it and you'll be happy with it at the moment pilot really made a massive leap when they released the laser so basically i would say at the moment for any kind of aspiring or energetic 3D pilot, there are three pilot planes to look at. The laser, the slick, and the extra NG. Within those three, no matter which one you go for, you'll be happy with it. No doubt about it. If there's a specific colour scheme that you love, or a specific type of model that you love the look of, just go for it. If you like all of them more or less, or you're kind of indifferent between the colour schemes or whatever. Normally, my recommendation would be if you are trying to not chase off of that top spot, get a laser. The laser is the most crazy, agile, quick, precise model that they make. On the other side of that, 
even though it can do absolutely all of the same maneuvers, just some of them not quite at that breakneck speed, you have the slick, which is probably the one that I would recommend more for kind of anyone who's looking to do a 100cc plane for iMac pattern or freestyle. So freestyle to music because it has a much taller fuselage, uh, knife edges at basically idle almost. You can just pin the rudder and it'll just keep knife edging along without falling out the sky. So that's a really fun plane. That's kind of a more slow and low, closer to you. I don't want to say old school because the, the old school of flying of the S-Batch and all that kind of plane was loads of fun in the day. It's still loads of fun now. Uh, but the, the feel of how precise the plane is in doing it all is very different now to then. Back then, you had to fly low and slow because they didn't want to fly fast. They couldn't fly fast. The Slick now is uh, is a plane that can do everything, but it's really, really fun doing that low and slow because you have that crisp control. And then you have the Extra, which is kind of sitting in the middle there. It's the best of both worlds. It's crazy aggressive, it's crazy precise, it's crazy smooth, and it's happy going both quick and fast and slow. So, mm, I mean, probably I'm going to be looking at getting an Extra... From, to replace my laser uh, simply because I've always been a sucker for extras I've had quite a few of them and yeah sure we go extra extra ooh edge back to an extra oh everyone's having yak 55s oh I'll have a yak please oh no go, well then go back to extra extra seems to be that one that every time they bring out a new model everyone goes back to and they just always fly great so uh, either way it's a safe bet the other uh, plane that I'm guessing that you're pretty excited about is the one right behind you. Is that uh, Pilot RC FC1? Exactly. That one I'm excited about, and it's really been tough for me because I've had that thing sitting in a box for the last year. I received it last September, a week before Jet Power, the Jet Power where I flew Enrico's FC1. So Enrico and Ralph are the two guys that designed and produced the first versions of the FC-1, and they then sold the molds and the rights to Pilot RC. So having the chance to... I mean, I've always loved the look of the plane. My first jet was an Ultra Flash, and I painted it in the colour scheme of the Swiss uh, F5, because the F5 has always been my favourite jet. This thing is basically the Chinese copy of an F5, uh, same as the J-10 is the Chengdu Chinese copy of the Eurofighter. So it has the looks of the F-5. It can do all the aerobatic manoeuvres, and it's got a vector pipe, and it's been made light, so it can do all the crazy stuff that the J-10 can do without all the downfalls of not really being able to do knife edge well because it's a Delta. So I'm, I was really excited to order it as soon as it came out, I was really excited to receive it. And then after flying it at jet power last year, I was even more excited to have my own waiting for me back here because it flew as good as I hoped it would. The one I flew had a JetCat P220 RXI in it and it flew well. However, it wasn't an insane punch out like I'm used to on the J10, which has that same turbine, but of course being a slightly smaller plane, 
slightly fewer servos, the power-to-weight ratio is better in the J10 than it was in that particular FC1. So there's been two reasons why that is still currently sitting on the shelf behind me waiting to get started. The first one is entirely through my own fault, which is uh, two years ago I bought this house and we've been refurbishing it ever since. A six-month project has turned into now almost two years doing everything ourselves, and we are almost, almost finished. We've moved in. The workshop is now very close to being as I wanted as well. So soon we're going to be back in the workshop building, making all the videos that we've been a little bit low on lately because of all that work over the last two years. And then the other side of it is that as of two weeks ago, I've now received the turbine for it. Now, I ordered the JetCat P250. So we have roughly three kilos more thrust than the one that I flew in jet power. So if that one was already fun, this one should be absolutely amazing. Now, unfortunately, when I ordered it, the JetCat P250 Pro, uh, I kind of had a little bit of insider information that they were soon going to be releasing a new version, the V2. So... Uh, at that opportunity, I sort of said, okay, well, fine. Well, I'm working on the house. Uh, I'm not going to be able to build the plane immediately anyway. So we'll put it on hold, put it on the shelf, and we'll wait for the brand new V2 version, which now we have it here. Uh, say we're finishing up a video at the moment, which uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy when that comes out in a couple of weeks. And then the next thing going on the table is the FC1. Full series of build videos on it. And then some real fun. Nice. What um what gear are you planning on on using on that plane outside of that um JetCat turbine? Uh, that's going to be running full uh, MKS servos throughout. So uh, I've received those. I've actually uh, gone for a slightly different or unusual mix to what people may usually go for. Uh, kind of based on the same theories that I use when building the J10, which is. I've learned from both that one and the one above it, the um, the Lizard, that for 3D jets, the lighter, the better. And if you can make it lighter still, it'll be even better than that. So I've actually chosen a number of the servos, not based on torque or speed, but based on weight. MKS actually have a servo. Uh, I should probably know it by now. I think it's the DS1210 uh, HV. That sounds about right. Or 2210 HV which is uh, Metal Gear. It's, um, it's, I want to say, about 18, 20 kilos torque. It's quite quick, but it's around 25 grams lighter than any other servo. And so, uh, sure, I'm going to be using bigger servos on the flaps, so uh, some HBL 550s, and uh, on the vector thrust as well. But... All in all, trying to keep it nice and light, trying to keep it uh, with that amazing, crazy, insane power-to-weight ratio that we've uh, been able to achieve in both the J10 and the Lizard. And once we can achieve that, it's going to be a heck of a machine. That's really interesting. It's the first time I think I've heard anybody talk about weight of servos <clears throat> in, in a jet. Uh, I think that yeah. the only time I've heard that is when you're making a, a tiny foamy, right? To fly oh, yeah. indoors. Well, the thing is, you have 10 servos, 
yeah, 25 grams each, you have a quarter of a kilo. Uh, add into that a number of other things that you can do to keep it light. So avoid at all costs any kind of trays, any kind of extra accessories, any kind of supports. You know, glue things into the fuselage. Use small pieces of wood, just enough to take the uh, the screw and glue all of that into the fuselage. All of that adds up quickly. I mean, you may have seen the video uh, lightening the lizard. The lizard is the uh, 3D jet from SAB. It uh, this one, mine has a JetCat P130 RXI in it, so 13 kilos of thrust. The plane itself. Uh, I didn't unfortunately weigh it before starting, uh, but it's advertised at roughly eight kilos takeoff weight dry. Uh, and throughout the video, I was able to remove uh, from memory, I think it was about 950 grams out of mm. an eight kilo airframe. So the difference in how that thing would sort of not only fly, but doing all kinds of flips and spins and the harriers and the hovers, everything was done with so much of a lighter wing loading, it really transformed the plane. And sure, that actually included removing two servos, so it no longer has rudder servos in it. Uh, we removed the electric brakes, because electric brakes are really heavy. Uh, the uh, electric brake controller, we changed the fuel tank, changed a few of the composite parts. Doing that, we were able to change the CG uh, or change the batteries, keeping the same CG because we removed the rudder servos. And uh, yeah, so this time I'm trying to avoid having to do all of that retrospectively because that already flew. And once it was flying, I thought this flies good, but if we can get it lighter, it's going to fly better. And I then had to basically pull everything out again to make all that lightening. Whereas in the uh, FC1, I know I'm going to end up doing it again because I kind of said, you know, I, I fly for Pilot RC. So I am going to try and keep it stock originally. So uh, no stupid nonsense to start with. Uh, translate that as not pulling the Dremel out and removing parts. Uh, but if we can try and keep the weight down in the additional components that we add, well, when I undoubtedly end up trying to lighten it later on we'll have less to do at least mm -hmm. how um how hard was it for you to transition from you know prop plane 3d flying mainly you know i guess harriers hovers yeah uh, to 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 those type of maneuvers uh, on this type of jets um seems like it's that probably was... fairly different yeah it it was really funny because i had zero interest in jets when I say zero, it was, you know, it was frozen, zero, nothing, nothing at all. And a friend of mine uh, from the club bought a jet. And he basically said, look, I've bought a jet. I need to go collect it. And the guy's going to teach me to fly it. But I'd like you to come with me because you're probably going to pick it up quicker than I am. And that way, when we get back here, rather than him having to struggle on his own, in theory, I can have learnt it, and then I can help him. So, sorry, I'm, I'm just so not interested. And uh, he repeated the offer a couple of times, and the bit that he kind of missed out initially was that the uh, plane had been bought 
from Jack at Spain in Mallorca. So his plan was, let's go to Mallorca for a weekend and do some flying over there. So I said, okay, sure, I can go to Mallorca for a weekend. And if we happen to fly a jet while we're there, well, bingo. Anyway, so we got there. We met with uh, Sebastián, a guy who still runs uh, Jet Cat Spain today. And he explained everything to us. We went through it all. And uh, I'm very much going through the motions. I wasn't particularly interested, but I knew that this was an expensive toy and I wanted it to work well for my friend. So I was paying attention and understanding everything. And we get to the flying field and guy flies it. It was only a boomerang Elan trainer, so it was easy to fly in theory. But with zero experience with jets, zero experience with flaps or landing gears or brakes, it was a lot to take in. He flew around, landed, and then he said, okay, next flight, uh, you're going to have a go. We looked at the radio. I fly mode two. He flies mode one. Sure, I can fly mode one, but I'm not flying my first ever jet in mode one. Uh, we were in a bit of a pickle. So he ended up going back to the shop, picking up uh, a second radio in mode two. And my first jet flight was knowing that if I indeed took off, the only option I had was to land myself because I could not hand the radio back to this guy because it's in the wrong mode. Fortunately, it was a boomerang Elan. It was seemingly doing about a million miles an hour. It felt like the fastest thing on earth. The sky wasn't big enough. And all I was doing was sort of circles. But in that flight, despite the circles, I was still able to do sort of a four point roll, uh, a, a cautious knife edge, a little bit of the inverted. Uh, I'm guessing it was probably terrible, but uh, we were able to land it. Everything was okay. And uh, actually, after that first flight, uh, I gained my Jetcat sponsorship. Basically, Sebastián sort of said, if that's what you can do on your first ever jet flight, we need to see what you can do with a jet of your own. Had you given me that opportunity 10 minutes before, before flying, thank you very much. No, I'm not interested. I don't like jets. Ask me this 10 minutes later, having just landed this thing, smiling from ear to ear, and all I could say was, I want one, I want one, I need one, I need one. <laughs> I was hooked. Uh, it then did take me, uh, probably once I got my ultra flash uh, up in the air, it probably did take me probably a good year before it could be. I could fly it in a way that, <sighs> how to put it, from very early on, I was able to fly and put on what, for me, myself, as a 3D prop plane pilot, felt like a good show. You know, I could knife edge down the strip uh, really low, we could do a four-point roll really low, slow point, slow roll really low. But I still had the mentality of the 3D plane. So I was flying my 500-kilometer-hour ultra-flash jet in 200 meters, you know, inside a really tight box and... It took us sort of about a year to understand and realize that in general, most people tend to agree on a style of flying for jets, which is elegant and one that isn't. 
And even though I was sort of pushing the limits as far as height was concerned, my flight was far from anything elegant. But once that UA, I was able to sort of change that chip, uh, probably about a year later is when we sort of started flying bigger circuits, bigger loops, bigger maneuvers. And uh, that is also when we started getting some, some nice comments from people about flying jets. And uh, it's sort of, again, it snowballed from there. I, I would say, again, I've, <laughs> my phrase for this podcast seems to be, I was very lucky, but I, I was. Uh, in the club uh, where I fly, which is also where, where you've been for the uh, SXFC, uh, we've always had uh, a number of uh, members who fly or own very nice models, be that prop planes or jets. Uh, and nowadays they're able to fly them well, but it's taken a number of years where the, uh, the wallet was bigger than the skills. So through all of that, I've also had the rare opportunity to be able to actually fly a massive number of models that I would normally never have had the chance to get even close to and a massive variety as well which again normally if it was down to my own economy well you you can probably figure it out from yourself i've had the j10 10 years wow that one is new this year that the the lizard i've had uh, about three i want to say about three four years and the uh, the ultimatum which is to the side of me uh that one it's also probably about seven or eight years. So it's an expensive hobby, especially when you travel about a lot. So uh, there isn't much left over for new toys. So you can see I have one Sport 3D Jet, one soon-to-be Sport 3D Jet, one Sport 3D Jet, and one Sport Jet. If it wasn't for those club members that... Uh, through both assisting them and enjoying by myself as well. Uh, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to fly all the scale jets, all the glider jets, and all the other different kind of models beyond the ones that I would normally spend my own money on. And uh, again, it's one of those things that because you've been seen to be able to fly all those models, it does tend to just open a few more doors. And because of that, I've been very lucky to get to a number of shows where we haven't had to send one of our own models because we've done it. We've learned exactly how stupidly expensive it is. And it's not feasible. But because you are able to fly to a degree any kind of model, you're able to rock up at an event where people know you and are crazy enough to trust you. And uh, it becomes a lot easier. Yeah, and speaking of, um, you, when you go to those events, uh, you obviously very often will get, you know, here, here's the transmitter, go go put this up with my plane, enjoy, yeah. which is really cool. I'm sure that... I'm scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely <everyone>. scary. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that often also you end up being asked to take a look at people, people planes, take a look at their setup, help them improve their right. their setup uh so i'm sure you've seen a lot of really cool models really well built i'm sure you've also seen a lot of 
things that were not so good. So I'm pretty curious, what are the... Let's start with what are the most common mistakes that you see people making uh, when either building or setting up their planes? Uh, either either prop or jets. I'm guessing that jets are probably a bit trickier and there's more nuance to, to it. Yeah, it's, it's difficult really to, to try and put your finger on just a couple of things. Um, but normally you look inside a plane and rarely do you see a plane where you think, this is, you know, spot on. If we're talking jets, uh, anything simple like seeing, okay, why have you got three Festo connectors in a single fuel line? It's just asking for possible failure points. Um, having plastic servo arms, that one's always brilliant, especially on flaps and things that have massive deflections doing 200 kilometers an hour. Um, but I say, trying to find something very specific, no. But you do often find silly things that you can point out to the owner. And all you do is actually physically point, and they already know what you're going to say. They, they can see it. But for whatever reason, just bypassed it, never noticed, never thought two times of it. And uh, in that sense, it's it's probably all beneficial, not me, but anyone. If you just have someone every now and again say, hey, do you want to just have a quick look at my model and see uh, what you think? Not even necessarily fly it. Just say, maybe I've missed something. And uh, nine times out of ten, you'll probably find something. And then, of course, there's the other half of it, which is the radio. Everyone has their own idea of how to set up a radio. And everyone tends to do it different to me. Either I'm really special in wanting very specific things or there are some amazing configurations out there. And I say that with the utmost respect to anyone and everyone who, who programs their own models, of course. I mean that in the way that I always tend to claim that I'm rather stupid. So I need to keep things really simple. So... Basically, on, say, my J10, I have effectively two switches, and one of them controls the landing gear. The other one is for hovering, and it just changes the gyro position from normal flying to crazy. The number of times that I get handed a radio for a J10, and we have one switch to turn the vector on and off, one switch to turn the gyro up, down, and off, one switch to change the rates, one switch to change the other rates, and so on and so forth. And you think, how am I going to remember six switches for a four-minute flight when you're also trying to, to some degree, put on a show, have fun, get low, and you know, show what the plane can do? So nine times out of ten, even in those cases where you arrive at a location and the plane is perfect, I'll normally duplicate the model in the radio. I'll never touch someone's personal program, so they can always go back to that later, and it's as if I've never been there. But I'll tend to limit very much what the radio does and just keep it simple. Normally, I fly with no dual rates, no flight modes, no changes in how the plane performs. Basically, 
uh, I want it to always perform the same no matter what's going on. And if I have a switch, it's because the vector turns on, the, the gyro turns on and off, but the vector is also always going the same for the same reason. If I pull elevator with vector off, it's going to be different as to when I pull it when it's on. So that's something else to think about. And because I'm stupid, I like things simple. So it's always on. So I'll set up this new model in the radio where we basically have one switch uh, if it's a vector jet and no switches if it's a standard jet, other than, of course, flaps and landing gear. And uh, just try and find a sweep spot where you don't have more throw than you actually use or need. Uh, and the expo is enough to make it feel comfortable throughout the flight. And then normally on the last day, if not before, but I try to say to the owner, say, hey, before I go, try the setup, see what you think, and just forget about all the switches. Just go fly and have fun. And nine times out of ten, they enjoy it, and they actually enjoy flying that little bit more because they're not concentrating on, I'm going to fly fast, flip, flip, flip. I'm going to fly slow, remove, remove, remove. But, of course, different mentalities, different ways. That's just mine. Yeah, for for what it's worth, uh, that's pretty much my same mindset around around setup on the transmitter. I, I want to keep it really as simple as possible. I don't want to touch anything that is not the sticks as much as possible. So yeah, I don't have dual rates. I don't have but my my prep planes. I will have the switch for ignition on and off, and exactly. that's that's about it. Um, and, exactly. and yeah, I think I think especially when you're flying pretty hard aerobatics and you are going from maneuver to maneuver, the last thing you want is having to switch the uh, switch, switch well, uh things around or, or think which flight mode you are in i can actually trace back the exact moment when i stopped using dual rates and flight modes and it dates back to one video that i saw on youtube of i'm quite sure it was jason shulman at the toc 2002 where he did a rolling loop well, a loop with slow rolls integrated into it going up faced the plane down and came in for a low panic or inverted flat spin low to the ground and it just did a sort of slow roll straight down this was with a 42% size airplane back when anything with a 90 size glow engine was already massive so the thought of destroying a three-point-something-meter airplane. And what did he do? He turned round to the crowd in Las Vegas at the TOC, held the radio up, and just said, I didn't flip the dual rate switch. I was on low rates because of the slow roll going up. And when he came down for the flat spin, it wasn't there. So at that particular moment, I literally paused the video went into my workshop, picked up the radio and deleted all of the low rates on my models, left the expo as it was and increased it a little bit and said, okay, that is never happening to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't watched that video. I would look for it now. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's very similar to my thinking process there. Um, I think when I was getting to a point where freestyle flights or demo flights were like back to back maneuver after maneuver going from precision to 3d um yeah. i started to realize that every time i would go for especially for a 3d maneuver that i need high rates on i would like triple check 
that the switch was in the right position because I was very scared that, oh, if yeah. I forget to do this, the airplane is gone. We have a problem. Um, and that ended up being more harmful than helpful, right? Um, having to be yeah. thinking about that on top of everything else you're thinking of when flying that way. So, exactly. yeah. Keep it simple is the, is the way to go. Kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we're talking before about other people's planes and how sometimes the uh, setup might be not the best or not to your liking. Uh, is there any particular planes that you've had to fly and felt pretty scary, whether it's because of the cost of the plane or the setup um, that you might have thought yeah, of it that, twice? That happens quite regularly. I mean, I, I would tend to say that I'm probably quite a calm, relaxed kind of guy. Um that doesn't mean that I'm not doing a million miles an hour inside. And I know very well how expensive these toys are. I did go through a stage a number of years ago with prop planes of my own where I effectively lost all respect for them. And I was quite fortunate. I don't seem to remember actually destroying any because of it however i did start breaking literally everything possible in flight airframe servos engines you name it it was failing on me and that was kind of when i actually pulled back a little bit from the prop 3d flying because the, pl the equipment just wasn't holding up for me i didn't have the crazy amount of time needed to spend every evening in the workshop repairing things. Uh, and basically, it's kind of from that point on, I would say, I've since gained a lot of respect, especially for other people's models. Uh, the last thing I ever want to do is damage a plane that someone lends me. Uh, I do a lot of maiden flights for people. That's always a nerve wrecker because not only is it an expensive plane and somebody else's plane and sure you've checked it over on the ground but is everything genuinely fully locked down secure tight and as it should be or is something going to go wrong uh sure a lot of people at that point tend to remind me and say look if it goes in with you chances are it would have gone in five minutes prior with me, which they seem to think calms my nerves, but it doesn't. It just means that one way or the other, if that happens, we have a massive problem. And rather than you being upset that you've broken your plane, I'm going to be upset that I've broken your plane and I'm going to spend the next week thinking, what on earth could I have done different to try and save this poor guy's plane? So I'd say borrowing planes I love doing it because it gives me the chance to test planes that I wouldn't normally and uh, enjoy planes that I wouldn't normally. It's also a massive responsibility that you try and make sure that even though putting on a show and sometimes really pushing it, uh, trying not to push it too far. You'll normally see, though, in even my own style flying and the height of my flying, you'll see there how good I feel that setup is and how confident I feel with that plane. If you see 
say one of the uh, one of the videos from uh, from Chile a couple of months ago. I had an absolute beast of a week. Spent the whole week flying a load of different jets, and basically it's just all there for me to do. They basically said, "Here you are. Here are the planes. Here are the batteries." Make sure that when you take off, you've put fuel in and you've got charged batteries. That was the level of sort of concern. And the setups were really good. The, uh, the, the flying that I did thereafter, you know, there's awesome videos flying knife edge, super low, inverted, just having an absolute blast and wishing that some of these models I could bring back home with me. At the same time, within those same planes that I was provided, we also had so many failures from things that were unexpected, the most spectacular of which unfortunately wasn't on camera and it's really difficult to repeat. Um, but it was on a J10. Uh, it was the Pilot RC version. It had previously, quite some time ago, been in a bit of a crash. Uh, no serious damage. It, I think the engine flamed out basically and it uh, just came down hard. But they'd repaired it. Everything was hunky-dory. And we'd done a couple of test flights and everything was going well. And on the first proper flight, I pulled to do a square loop. I pulled, plane went up, fuel tank went forwards. Uh, of course, that was then followed by the uh, very distinctive sound of the turbine going, <laughs> because of course, it no longer has any fuel in it. But uh, yeah, so you never kind of know what you're going to find when you fly one of your own planes, let alone when you fly someone else's. On that occasion, obviously, the, uh, the supports for the fuel tank were secured. They just weren't quite as secured as they needed to be. Yeah, that, that must be a bad crash. Um... No, it actually landed okay, surprisingly. Oh, Thankfully, were, were you yeah. high enough at to glide? Yeah, well, the J10s don't glide. Um, they really, really don't glide. You, you, you basically have to kill the engine yourself at a position that you know you're already pointing nose down. Otherwise, they just come down like a leaf. The, uh, the CG doesn't allow them to get the nose down if it wants points up. So it literally just it came down like a leaf and basically... Uh, no, sorry, I'm, mix, I'm mixing up stories here. That's your fault. We actually had two issues with two J10s. The one that came down like a leaf was because of a flame out in a in a Harrier, which point you're just uh, a spectator. You're watching how it comes down and you're just trying to keep the wings level. That one, no damage. It flew again in the afternoon. The uh, one where the fuel tank flew out, it actually pulled up. Sort of, it flamed out, was able to get the nose down quick enough. And because I, because of my IMAX training, I'd pulled the square loop on the runway in the center of the runway, which meant that when I pulled up, and Chile has a massive runway anyway, all I had to do was push the nose down again, and it just landed towards the end of the runway in a perfectly straight line. Fortunately, of course, the fuel tank was on the uh, CG, so the plane flew just as well, if not better, because it was a lot actually lighter. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, flying, flying other people's planes definitely is great. Like I've I haven't flown anywhere as close as many planes as you have from other people, right? But I've, I've also Yet. flown a lot, um, and it's it's always that combination of super excited, super scared. 
um, on the back of yeah. me. I, I tend to not think too much about it after looking at the plane and I decide that, yeah, this looks reasonable, let's, let's fly it. But there's always that little something yeah. in the back of your mind, like, well, if something goes wrong, uh, whether it's an like equipment problem or, you know, we are human, right? Like, we, yeah. we can always make some mistake um, sooner or later. So it's, it's never impossible for something bad to happen. And it's, it's yeah. not, not a great day for anybody. The one we can probably say, and answering one of your previous questions, I would probably say, and hopefully everyone who's listening can now go back to their models and check that this isn't happening in their plane, especially if they're going to hand it to either you or me. Crazy aileron rates and no elevator rate, or no expo on rudder and huge expo on ailerons, that's a really weird one, and I, I can't figure out why. If you have quick ailerons, you want quick elevator and quick rudder. That way everything kind of feels more or less homogenous. Not this silly thing of crazy roll rate, but the elevator, you need to go to the moon and back to do a loop. Or the rudder where you have it pinned to the side and it'll do a knife edge loop almost on its own space, but the ailerons and elevator do nothing. So try and keep the uh, all three axes similar in response time. And both Juan and me will, will appreciate it when we eventually borrow your plane. And chances are you'll make it easier on yourself as well because you're not being super careful on one stick while being super aggressive on the other, all for the same maneuver. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've seen a couple of times now that is kind of weird is like very high expo on things like ailerons and very, very low expo on elevator, which exactly. makes the plane super, super twitchy. Exactly. And don't be afraid of the numbers. If you need to use 95% expo to feel comfortable, use 95% or 93 or 97. It doesn't need to go 80, 90, 100. You can use yep. 86, 87, 89, 93, or 23, whatever you feel comfortable with. But yeah, try and keep it more or less in the same kind of ballpark on all three. And don't be afraid of going high on expo, especially with this like high rate, uh, you know, 3D planes, especially. Um, I, sometimes I see people that think that large expo values are bad or mean that you're a bad pilot and you need the babysitting of the uh, front transmitter and that's no. definitely not the case. And you, with such large I'm the first surfaces, one that uses a, de a decent amount of expo and it, it just helps. Yeah. Although, do you remember our friend from here in Spain, uh, Jorge, Jorgito? Mm -hmm. Crazy guy. Flies 3D, great pilot, now great mechanic for full-size aviation, but he always, for some reason, ran with zero expo, even on 3D planes. Wow. How? I have no idea. I once tried to fly one of his planes, I almost crashed on takeoff. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a big part of personal preference there, but yeah, no expo, no expo on 3D planes sounds really, really hard, yeah. You know, you've traveled all over the place. You've gone to lots of the coolest events. Um, I have two questions there. One is, what's the event you've enjoyed the most and you would recommend other people to, to attend if they can? Um, I get that question very regularly. And I never really have a proper answer. I, enjoy, I tend to enjoy everywhere I go. Uh, for for the reason of location, of models, or people. 
Um, I mean, the Joe Null, for example, you're in the USA, so we'll go with the Joe Null. The Joe Null is an amazing agglomeration of like-minded people, pilots, friends, and, you know, you don't get that anywhere else in the world where that amount of people, planes, runways, planes in the sky at once, amazing. Then you go to other locations. For example, we go to Chile. The event in Chile was, or is, it's, it's the most amazing location. Anyone who hasn't seen the video, I'll plug it here now. Go to my YouTube channel and check it out. It's one of the more recent ones. And it's a club that started the current location with $12 million in their bank account. The location is a modeler's paradise. It's pretty mind-blowing. I want to move to Chile just because of the club. Exactly. Because of the club, it's already amazing. It's then great people with great models also make it a great event. But I could find something special about everywhere we go. I mean, we just come back from Australia. It's the, 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 the human warmth that they have over there. Even though it's a much smaller event at a large location, it's still so much fun just to hang out with the guys, ripping each other new ones, because that's just how the Aussies are. But, and then anything going back to, back to Europe, I mean, you have Jet Power, where you have all the biggest manufacturers in the world, all in one place. And sure, the first year you go, it's absolutely spectacular. But if, like me, you've been going for the last, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years, you know everyone. So it's even better. The same happens when you go to Western Park. You know everyone. So not only do you have the crazy location, the amazing airplanes, but at the end of the day, wherever we go, we find friends. It's always fun. Is there any event that you haven't got a chance to go to yet, but you would like to? Uh, there's a couple, yeah. I mean, uh, Kentucky Jets uh, is one that I think is really growing and uh i'd love to get to uh there's a couple over a couple more over in the u.s and in south america that uh uh either don't happen every year or, or would like to try and get over to but uh yeah a any kind of opportunity and uh we'll be there we have to find something here in in uh, california and bring you and hang out Sounds good to me. Do do a video, do something like that. California yeah. had a couple of, couple of uh, close calls of trying to get to uh, to Canada. That one would be uh, really cool, even though they're your your enemy neighbors. I'm not sure if you're that American yet, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, um, thank you so much, Martin. I think this was great. It's also awesome just catching up with you after such a long time. Um, yeah, no. yeah, keep up the awesome job with uh, with the channel and, and with your demos. Thanks. Look forward to hopefully seeing you soon as well. Yeah. See you, Martin. See you, man.